my friends, and welcome to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining me, friends. This is a special episode. So we have now completed our study of the first five books of the Bible. You'll hear these called the Pentateuch for five books. You'll hear this called the, the books of Moses. You'll hear this called the law. You'll hear this called the Torah. Now, Torah often gets translated as law, but a better translation perhaps would be teaching or instruction. And the Torah is the first of the three sections of Jesus's Bible. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in one sense, I don't mean that the Old Testament is Jesus's Bible and the New Testament is Paul's Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says all scripture is breathed out and inspired by God. That's both Old and the New Testament. What I mean by that is, as best as we can tell, during the time of Jesus' childhood, little Jewish boys and girls would have learned the Old Testament, by and large, the exact same books that we have. They would have learned them in a different order. And that order is symbolized by an acronym that we would pronounce the Tanakh or the Tanakh. And this is T, N, and K with two A's in between to kind of make it a word. And the T stands for Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If you open up your table of contents, that's the first five books you're going to see. The second section, though, of Jesus's Bible, the Bible he would have studied as a little boy, is not going to be the same as your Old Testament. It's the same book, but in a different order. The middle section of Jesus's Bible is called the Nevi'im, or the Prophets. And prophets both include the prophets, the guys you're thinking of, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the minor prophets, but also include books like Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. The third section of Jesus' Bible, the K, the Ketavim, stands for writings. And we'll get to that next season. Uh, But the reason I'm making a big deal about this is because I think there's a message in the structure of the Bible that Jesus would have studied and the Bible that he would have known and quoted. When we get to the book of Luke, In Luke 24, after Jesus' resurrection, he's walking on the road to Emmaus with two of his very discouraged disciples who think that, well, Jesus is dead. The plan has failed. What are we going to do now? And Jesus says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so there's there's the law, the Torah, there's the Nevi'im, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So there we go. We got the first two sections in that order. You scan down to the end of Luke 24, and you get to verse 44. Jesus is now speaking to the 12 disciples. He says to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the Torah, and the prophets, there's the Nevi'im, and the Psalms. Now, the Psalms are the first and most important books of the third section, the writing. So by saying the Psalms, Jesus is referring to that entire third section. So there we go. We've got the law, we've got the prophets, we've got the writings. Now, again, I must emphasize this point. Jesus studied the same 39 books that you and I have in our Bible, in our Old Testament, but they were in different orders and combined in different combinations. And that order that Jesus would have studied, the Tanakh, is the order that we are going to study the Old Testament in. So we're going to go from Deuteronomy to Joshua, then to Judges, but we're going to skip Ruth for now, not permanently. Ruth is actually in the writings, and we're going to go on to Samuel, Kings, before looking at Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the minor prophets. So what we want to do in this episode is overview the section that we call the prophets. Now, it's going to be impossible to avoid the fact that the prophets have a lot to say about land. 
Since the very early stages of Genesis, readers have been anticipating Israel coming into control, coming into possession of the promised land. God says to Abraham in Genesis 17, 7 through 8, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So part of God's covenant with Abraham involves a promise of land. We call this the promised land. And from the promised land, Israelite kings would rule. Abraham and his descendants came to believe that the promised deliverer, the one we've been waiting on since Genesis 3.15, would rise. Evil would be overcome and peace with God would be reestablished. Now, in the structure of the Tanakh, the law concludes with the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is set with Israel on the border of the promised land, in the land of Moab, looking across the Jordan River into the land of Canaan. And they were to go into the land on a mission. Israel was to display the greatness of Yahweh to the world by following his word as given through Yahweh, the specific commands in the Ten Commandments, but also conquer this city, do this, set this ambush, everything God says, do it. And display the greatness of Yahweh by by overcoming all obstacles to God-centeredness, whether this be enemy armies or idolatry and immorality and injustice. So God is going to give his people the land. However, God also warns his people, as he says in Deuteronomy 31, 16, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you're about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. So we already know as readers, we already know that Israel's covenant rebellion is going to continue, and it's going to result in ruin, curse, and exile. And the middle portion of Jesus' Bible, the prophets, are going to detail this slow, painful, sinful, heartbreaking journey to destruction. This section is going to stress God's enforcement of the Mosaic Covenant. The covenant laid down at Mount Sinai and repeated in Deuteronomy, if you obey, blessing, if you disobey, curse. We are going to watch as that unfolds right in front of our eyes in these books. Now, the section that we call the prophets, the Nevi'im, are actually divided into two smaller sections. We've got the former and the latter prophets. Now, the former prophets are going to continue the narrative history that began in Genesis. If you look at the first nine books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, those nine books together basically provide one chronological history from the creation of everything in Genesis 1 to the destruction of Jerusalem in B.C. 586. It's basically one unbroken narrative history. This is God's perspective on what happened to Israel. If you're a parent and you've had that experience, or if you're a teacher where you go out of the room and you come back in and everything's chaotic and you ask the kids, you know, what happened and one kid says this and one kid says that. So this narrative history, which would have been written and finalized and organized during the exile, is given to the people of Israel to explain According to God, here's why what happened happened. Here is what went wrong in your story. This is God's perspective on Israel's history. It's going to go from the conquest of the land in Canaan and Joshua all the way to the exile at the end of the book of Kings. So that's the former prophets. The latter prophets are going to give us God's commentary. So at the end of 2 Kings, 2 Kings 25, Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. The people are in exile. The Davidic throne has been destroyed. And the narrative stops. 
And for the next block of the Old Testament, we're not going to get narrative history. We're going to get prophets giving us God's perspective on the events that just transpired. If the former prophets tell us what happened, the latter prophets tell us God's perspective on why what happened to Israel happened. Yeah, we can all agree you were conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Now, let me tell you why, even though you worship the God who made the universe, you were conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Let me tell you why you're in exile. Let me tell you why you experienced those covenant curses. So just very briefly, a thumbnail sketch of each of these books in order. Uh, the former prophets, again, that's a narrative. We got the book of Joshua, which emphasizes Yahweh's covenant faithfulness and the call for Israel's covenant faithfulness. We see what happens when God goes to war. The book of Judges is Israel's covenant faithlessness and the need for God's kingship. The book of Samuel is the importance of honoring Yahweh and the Davidic kingdom hope. And the book of Kings, covenant failure, kingdom destruction, and the hope of kingdom restoration. Now, just quick pause. If you're thinking, wait, isn't there 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings? In our Bibles, just due to the scroll length, uh, they were divided into two. But originally, Samuel and Kings were one book, one scroll. So that's why I'm going to call them Samuel and Kings. But I do mean both 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. So when we move to the latter prophets, again, we're, we're, the narrative is on pause. We're getting God's commentary. We've got Isaiah, which is Israel's rejection of God's kingship and the end time promise of his universal kingdom. Jeremiah is Israel's lack of covenant loyalty and the end time promise of God making his people loyal by giving them new hearts. And in the book of Ezekiel, Israel's loss of God's presence and the end time promise of the coming of his spirit. The 12 that we'll do at the beginning of next season are going to detail Israel's spiritual unfaithfulness and the end time promise of God's ultimate faithfulness. Now, both the latter and the former prophets display Israel as mostly faithless. There are individuals who are faithful. There are moments in their nation's history where, by and large, they are faithful. But the overwhelming majority of the time, the overwhelming majority of the people are faithless. Both units also stress God's faithfulness and mercy. They stress the coming of the new covenant as the ultimate hope of God's people and the consummation of the kingdom through the Redeemer from the line of David. One thing you'll notice as you go from the law, where the central characters are Abraham, but mostly Moses, human characters, obviously. God's the main character. When we go into the prophets, David is going to take center stage. And David, even though he's going to die fairly early in the prophets, but this hope for a redeemer from the line of David is going to dominate the book of the prophets. Now, let's talk about, here's a big word for you, deuteronomistic history. What in the world does that mean? So you've probably seen a ruler before usually a long wooden stick with little line markings on it that you use to measure things. You use to measure their length. And I want you to think of the book of Deuteronomy as a ruler. So in Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, the book of Deuteronomy evaluates all people and events in light of the covenant recorded in Deuteronomy. So no matter what the world might say about a particular king, oh, look how big his armies were, look how you know powerful he was, look at all of his gold and treasure, look how far he expanded the borders, the book of Deuteronomy comes along and measures the king and says, mm, he led the people into idolatry, he's a failure. Right? Every single thing that happens, every single person, every single institution that we see in Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings is going to be measured and evaluated in light of Deuteronomy. And that's why you'll often hear Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings called Deuteronomistic history. Because it's the history of the people of Israel viewed through the lens of Deuteronomy. And 
there are literally hundreds of references to the covenant made at Mount Sinai and to the book of Deuteronomy, but just a small sampling, Joshua 1.8, for example. God says to Joshua, this book of the law, the Torah, Deuteronomy, shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. You may be careful to do all according to that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Judges 3, 4. They, the people left in the land, were for the testing of Israel, to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. There's the Torah again. 2 Kings eighteen twelve. So zooming forward hundreds of years. Why did they exile the northern kingdom? Why were they exiled? Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. They neither listened nor obeyed. 2 Kings 21.8, fast forwarding another couple hundred years. I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander anymore out of the land that I gave to their fathers. If only they will be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, according to the law that my servant Moses commanded them. So Deuteronomistic history. This is what we're thinking about. We're constantly want to keep Deuteronomy open next to us as we read and study the books of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. Now in the Torah, there's a lot of focus on the role of the priests and with regards to Moses, the prophets. But in the Nevi'im, in the prophets, we're going to introduce a new critical role for Israel and for God's purposes, the idea of a king. Now Deuteronomy 17 lays out the job description for the ideal Israelite king. And it's worth reading, and I'll just go ahead and tell you this. Every single one of these requirements, Solomon breaks. So here we go. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandments, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. And as you know, probably, spoiler alert, this requirement is basically going to be failed by every single Israelite king. And that's going to lead to blessings, curses, and the Lord's response. The prophets show us how the threatened curses and blessings of Deuteronomy 28, that binary choice, obedience leads to blessing, disobedience leads to curse, get worked out in the nation of Israel's history. For example, Judges 2.15, whenever they marched out, the people of Israel, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. They're worshiping idols and they're suffering God's judgment. 2 Kings 22.13, Go inquire the Lord for me, King Josiah says, and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that I that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. I have this, I think it's a great habit. My wife thinks it's a terrible habit. Uh, I like to read Wikipedia entries for movies before I watch them. I don't like to be surprised. And my wife, of course, thinks that's just the most disgusting, horrifying thing ever. But I hate to break this to people like my wife who love to be surprised. There's nothing surprising at all in the books of the prophets. 
because we know that God is faithful and because we know the standards and requirements that God has set, nothing surprising happens in the books of the prophets. When you see the people obeying God and making him their number one priority and delighting in him, you're like, oh, good things are going to happen. And they do. And when you see the people disobeying God, hating their neighbor, exploiting their neighbor, worshiping others, like, oh, bad things are coming. And they do. We know exactly what's going to happen. God is faithful to his promises. He's faithful to curse and he's faithful to bless. The question is, how are we going to respond to his word? Now we go through Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. After first and second Kings, that's the the former prophets, the historical narrative pauses. We catch our breath and we now get to hear what God says about the events that we have just heard described. So this is what we call the latter prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the minor prophets, which I'll often call the book of the 12 as they were put together on one scroll. And all four of these books are collections of sermons given during the events described in First and Second Kings. And the former prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, prophets appear as characters. Think about Elijah and Elisha and the prophet Nathan who goes to David and many others. In the latter prophets, Again, it's not a historical narrative where we have characters. Rather, these are sermons from the prophets, ultimately from God through the prophets. In the latter prophets, Yahweh's ambassadors, his prophets, speak God's words. The prophets are not fortune tellers. They are covenant watchdogs. They are God's prosecuting attorneys holding up the law and saying, you are breaking this. Repent or judgment is coming. They enforce his covenant with Israel and they declare judgment against the nations. The prophets charge Israel with Mosaic covenant violations. They urge Israel to repent and come back to covenant faithfulness. They warn Israel of the covenant curses that will fall on them if they do not repent. But they promise covenant blessings for that humble remnant who bows before Yahweh and declares him to be king. In many ways, friends, that's that those two words, judgment and hope, sum up every word of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the Twelve. The prophets warn of judgment. They call the people to repent so they can avoid the judgment. And they promise blessing for those who will listen to Yahweh and humble themselves before him. In a world of sin, the prophets were gifts of God's grace. And these prophets urge all who would listen to the return to the only true Savior and Satisfier of our souls, and that is Yahweh. Now, just to give some connective tissue here, the prophets open and close with an emphasis on the central place of the law. So after the Torah, the law, we come to Joshua chapter 1, the very first chapter of the prophets. And we hear this, Joshua Be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And then, at the very last chapter of the very last book of the prophets, so Malachi 4, so again, bookended, Joshua 1, first chapter of the prophets, Malachi 4, last chapter of the prophets, in almost the very last words written in the Old Testament, we read this, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Until the Messiah arrives and establishes the new covenant, the law given through Moses was how Israel was to understand God and his purposes. So we are linking together these books and we're linking together these sections. We're going to link together the entire Old Testament to prepare our hearts for the coming of King Jesus.
So friends, next time we come together, Lord willing, we're going to begin our examination of the book of Joshua. But for now, take up and read. God bless.